and welcome to Soberholic Podcast. This show is designed to address topics that will encourage, equip, and inspire you to explore life's most difficult topics and overcome your biggest challenges. Today, your hosts, Roger and Jason, will share from their own experience how you can find hope and healing in recovery. Welcome back to the show, guys. Jason, man, we just got back from an amazing vacation. We actually went on a cruise. Have you ever done this? I have never been on a cruise yet. Well, we've done it a lot of times, and a lot of times we take the kids, but this time we took no kids. It was just me and my wife and two of our friends. And so we've never been on a vacation with friends before, but we got to do this. And, um, you know, for someone like me and you um, who are in recovery, Maybe a cruise ship isn't the best place to be <laughs> because it's like a just a floating bar. Like the drinks are just flowing free. They're everywhere. Like you can buy cards where you can drink all you want. Wow. You know, um, but, you know, the, uh, we did not buy all you can drink card because that's not good for us. But um, I say all that to say that, you know, there's cool things that are already built in on this cruise. And one of the things is, is I was looking through the itinerary, you know, that tells you what's going to be happening that day. Each day they, they give that to you at your stateroom. And one of them, it says, friends of Bill W. meet in the library. Oh, they have meetings on the ship. They do. Huh. Now, they don't always have people inside there, but, you know, throughout the years, I've had the opportunity to meet some other guys inside there and even with the large cruise ships that's got thousands of people the anonymity part is still there because most people don't know who bill w is right and so you're just invited to go in there for our and, listeners bill w is one of the co-founders of alcoholics not yeah bill wilson and so it, it was it was cool to go be able to do that because there's a lot of temptation on a boat especially um Early on in my recovery, I remember the first time I ever went on a cruise with my wife. It was just me and her, and that was kind of my safety nut. She was the safe person I was taking with me. <laughs> and I think she was less than a year sober, too. <laughs> and, I, and I went with my parents as well, so there was, I guess, maybe another marriage, uh, a measure of safety there yeah. because my my parents are not toxic as some people may be, but they they you know they would help prevent me from drinking the best they could. Right. If I mean, there's really a, a good way of saying that. Yeah. But um, so we 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 went to our first meeting that first time we went with one another on a cruise ship, and they were just just you know special special special. That was their yeah. way of trying to pass drinks to everybody. And um, the crazy thing is they don't charge you for these things. Like you don't pay money for them. They take your card because everything's done on what they call a sell and sign card. So it's like a pre-authorized credit card. And so you don't hmm. even know. Cause I, I could see like me getting extremely broke on something like this. If I was still drinking. Yeah. But anyways, I got sidetracked to tell you that we went to this meeting and we found some guys that were there and um, we got to talk. It wasn't like a formal AA meeting, but we got to talk about the temptations we were facing. And, you know, relapse is real. I don't care if you're in the middle of the Gulf of Mexico floating on a ship or if you're, you know, at work or if you're even in a church building, wherever, there is the, the temptation that comes to where you want to go back and, and use again, whether that's to abuse the food that you're using, you know, was trying to withdraw from or, you know, the drugs, the alcohol, whatever that may be, temptation comes. And so there's some safeguards I think that's important to talk about to kind of prevent relapse because 
had I just went into this this whole cruise blind, not knowing, um, with no kind of thought about it, I could see where it would be really easy to just relapse. Oh yeah, and that leads us right into the to the first way to prevent relapse, and that's to develop a recovery network or a support network. You know, like you found on on the cruise ship. You know, there was other people who had that same temptation, and you were able to talk about it and draw strength from each other in that. And I think just in in the wider Christian community, this is something that is really underutilized a lot in the church, you know, as far as being vulnerable with each other about what our what we're temp, tempted to do and the and the things that that lead us to th- those temptations, you know, we don't talk about them with each other. We don't want to be vulnerable with each other because we don't want you know, the other church member or whatever to think, you know, that we've done something wrong or that we've done something bad. But, you know, your desire to to not relapse should really overpower that, in my opinion. If you don't want to relapse, what a recovery support system can do is is it can help keep you accountable and it can help, you know, you've, you've heard the saying, a problem shared is a problem cut in half. I've heard it is a problem divided. Oh, okay. Yeah. Different versions, but you know the the principle is the same. You know when you're when you're able to be honest with somebody about what you're struggling with, there's power in that. You know we see that in in, in the Bible. There's healing in that in James chapter five, where it says, you know, you confess your sins to God and, um, well, pray for one another. Pray for one another and confess your sins to one another that you may be healed. You know, God forgives us certainly, but you know, there's there's an act of healing when we confess our sins to each other, and then in that same um, thing, there's the sponsor. You know, if you're if you're working a twelve step program, you know, it's always suggested that you have a sponsor to guide and walk you through all those steps, and that can be a vital piece of of not relapsing. Well, just the example that I used, for me, it wasn't about taking my AA group, um, my Celebrate Recovery group, my church group, any of those things on the boat with me. That wasn't practical. Um, But I was smart enough to take someone, that someone happened to be my wife, and that someone could be a friend or whatever, and it's not necessarily going on to a ship for a vacation. Maybe it's going to a... uh, a friend's house or whatever, you, you could take someone with you. Some of the best advice I was given early on was that if you're going somewhere, you take your car so that way you know that you can leave. Yeah. And I was like, wow, that's genius, you know, yeah. because if it gets bad enough, you know when it's temptation is, is getting bad. Right. And it's not wise to stay there longer than you should be. Yeah. I took um, I mean, early on in sobriety, I, I wouldn't go anywhere that they were – I would go to restaurants where there was alcohol obviously being served, but I wouldn't go to like a concert, you know, those type places. But here recently, just last year, I went to a couple of different concerts, just of secular bands that I like. But I brought somebody who was also, you know, in a recovery program with me. So we were there together, you know, and, you know, neither one of us even thought about it. Um, I won't go to those places by myself still. Just because I know I know better than to, than to trust myself in those kind of situations. Now I might be able to go ninety nine times by myself and nothing happen, but I don't. I can't say for sure. You know that there's 
that that one hundredth time that I'm not going to get some thought, you know, to want to go back to my old ways. And that's when Satan attacks us when we're at our weakest. And so when we think that it never will happen to us is usually when it happens. And in order to relapse, it only takes one time, you know. And so those 99 you may have stayed strong through, but that one time that you were caught weak and unprepared, that's when relapse happens. Because oftentimes our relapse doesn't happen in that moment. It's a, it's a, a multitude of things that's built up into this one moment. And so it's that you've quit doing several different things and your recovery, I don't know, for lack of better words, it's kind of weak right now. You've kind of quit quit going to as many meetings as you used to. Maybe you've quit looking into the Word. You've quit studying God's Word. Uh, you quit calling your sponsor. And the, all of these things have, have built up to now when you face temptation, um, it's going to be hard to overcome those things. Yeah, and, you know, you don't want to it's so easy when we are heading down the road of relapse to just isolate ourselves even more you know this was one of the things that kind of led to my one of my worst relapses i've had i had several of them in the past but when i relapsed after being sober for almost three years you know i started down that path of isolation and i i hit a certain point where i was so depressed that i did i quit reaching out and i didn't use my sponsor i didn't use my recovery network that i had built up and i didn't have any kind of spiritual um life whatsoever i wasn't praying and i quit using all the tools that were taught in recovery and i relapsed and um you know that's that's what you don't want to do is is when you start heading down that path is isolate you want to tell on yourself yeah yeah, and you know, kind of one of the things I think about when I'm thinking about relapse prevention is just, and I guess this would be our second point, is just you know you want to remove toxic people from your life, or even the the places you used to go. Maybe the concerts was something you always did, and the memories of the concerts is the drugs, the alcohol, the things, mm-hmm. yeah. the bad relationships you used to have, and so that's not something you want to go do again. No, not right off the bat. It, it, no, you know. not at all. <laughs> And I think about me when I first got sober, and you can probably relate, I'm not unique in this this sense, is that I got sober and I experienced what God was doing in my life, and it was so much better than I could ever hoped and dreamed. I wanted to tell other people. I mean, in a lot of ways, that sounds like sharing the gospel, right? right? Yeah, sounds um, good. And so now my whole thing was to go tell everybody else I used to do dope with about how <laughs> good this really can be. And that does sound still great, but it was not good for me to hang out with these guys yeah. and, and do those things. That doesn't mean that I didn't go share that with them when the time was right. But I just, you know, it, it wasn't smart and wasn't wise for me to start kicking indoors and say, hey, man, you know, this is what happened in my life. Because if I'm in one, a one-on-one setting with one of these guys or even with a lot of my old friends, it's easy for me to slip back into that old way of doing things. Yeah, and what I've done in the past in those situations where I really want to, you know, reach out to somebody that I know is struggling, but yet I don't trust myself alone with them, is I make them meet me kind of on my own terms, you know, either at church or at a Celebrate Recovery meeting or whatever type of meeting where I know it's safe and I've driven myself where I know I can leave. But, you know, going to them on their their terms is something that I just won't do. 
well, I'll call it for what it is. A guy with one hand playing pool is not good. <laughs> but, but I've had a lot of guys I've sponsored playing like pool leagues because it came with the bar style, lifestyle. And so they would get sober and go, well, you know, I just love to play pool, so I just want to play in my old league. Mm. Yeah, that's bad for several reasons. You probably did the drugs and alcohol you used to do with them. And then also where you were at is all about the the memories of what you did there. And, you know, I do know from being living a lifestyle of drugs and alcohol, all those times were not bad times. I had some really fun, goofy stories to tell when I was doing those things. But ultimately, it led to a life full of sin that was just miserable. And then, of course, that's how I found my bottom. But my mind will deceive me into believe that the good times is what I should be remembering if I get back into those old settings like that. Right. We have a built-in forgetter, as they say. True that. And, uh, you know, with with that whole thing, with going places that you used to go, you know, the, the old saying, if, if you sit in a barbershop long enough, you're going to get a haircut. I mean, I believe that. Um, it's, with drugs and alcohol... You know, I was always trying to find, well, maybe if I just do this, well, it won't progress to this, you know, or I'll go hang out with my buddies while they're listening to music, you know, but I'm not going to smoke weed. I'm just going to listen to the music. Well, eventually I would go back to my old ways because I, I had not changed really anything in my life. And whenever I see people try to go try to get sober just solely using the 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 road of i'm going to change who i hang out with and what i do and they don't actually do any recovery with it where they just take away all their friends and all the things they used to do in their hobbies and they they hope they're going to stay sober by just doing that you know usually it's not successful you have to replace all that with something and um you if you replace it with recovery and and a you know relationship with God and with Christ, you know then you actually stand a chance, a good chance of, of staying sober and and staying in recovery. Then if you just get rid of all your your whole life and change everything, get rid of everything, and then don't replace it with something. Because yeah, it just feels like there's a void there, right? You know, there's just an emptiness there. You don't know what to do, and you know you and I are a lot alike in this sense that. Uh, it may not even be a good sense, but we like to be busy people. Yeah. And so if I'm just sitting there with idle time, what's that old saying? Um, idle, idle hands is the devil's workshop. That, you're, you're a mind reader, dude. Yeah. Yeah, that's exactly what I was going to say is that um, you know it's just not good for me. I, I don't like to sit and do nothing. Um, but there's, there's a healthy balance there. You know, we, oh, we, sure. We, you and I have talked about that off air a lot. But um we need to find something to replace that. And that's where taking the bad people, the bad places and replace them with good people and good recovery networks is, is important for us. Yeah. And then the third uh, way to prevent relapse is avoiding triggers. What is a trigger? 
Well, check it out like this. This is probably it's not a the, tigger. A, wait, <laughs> a tigger? That would be like a tiger that jumped up and down. Or in the South, we could call them a chigger. That's a chigger. A that's what I was looking for. <laughs> but I think little, I got one on my arm. Oh, they itch like crazy. Have you seen me itch on my arm? <laughs> I, I thought maybe you'd relapse. <laughs> <laughs> no, I really think I have a chigger. In there oh, they're anyway. horrible if you've got one. Um, but those are the little red bugs that you can't really see, and they just really itch. Yeah. But no, um, talking about the triggers and how to avoid them is this is this was probably the one thing that's happened a lot throughout the years, and I don't have it so much now, and, and I'm thankful. And maybe it's the distance from my last drink or drug, but seasons changing would always trigger me mm. to want to go use. And the crazy thing was is when I entered recovery, I knew I was a drug addict, but I would really not agree with you on being an alcoholic even though i'd had all my duis and oh yeah like four before i was even legal drinking age but <laughs> I, I didn't see myself as an alcoholic because i chose the drugs first that was right. really my, my drug of choice and so but if the weird thing is this is in the summertime i've always wanted to drink and in the wintertime i always wanted to go use and I won't be real specific with what which ones, but right. there's actual certain things that I want to do right, yeah. when the climate is out in a certain hmm. way. Yeah. And it's crazy, and there's nothing I can avoid that with, you know, because it's going to happen regardless of where I go. But when we talk about triggers, it could be some of the things we've very, I've already talked about with where we're going, who we're being around. But um, it could also be even the music we listen to. This is something that's for real for me, and it still happens today, is if I'm, I can listen to a lot of the secular music I used to listen to, mm -hmm. and guys, don't hear me as a legalistic guy, because I'm not, but if I listen to a lot of the old music I used to listen to, it can trigger my mood in a way that I can be angry with the music I listen to, I can be happy or sad with the music that I listen to. Is that true to you? Oh, yeah. I mean, there's certain music I won't listen to anymore, you know? But but there's other music that doesn't affect me like that. Um, music has a unique way of tapping straight into your emotions. So, you know, you got to figure that out. What you know, if there's music that triggers you to want to relapse and use and go back to whatever your hurt habit hang up was, then you need to avoid that. Pink Floyd's just not good for I mean, me. Yeah, I don't. Yeah, yeah. Pink Floyd, Widespread Panic. I, I don't listen to them much anymore because yeah. it represents you know a particular time i've associated a particular time and experience in my life with certain music and whenever i listen to them i just go back there you know so i mean i think other triggers too can be bad relationships you know um if if there's a particular person that you're in a relationship with and whenever you get around each other you know you relapse well then you need to avoid that or if you're stuck in a per, in a perpetual pattern of in and out of relationships, you need to break that cycle. Um, and you got relationships, you got places, and you got friends. And another big trigger is emotional triggers. You know, when you, like I said earlier, when I was when I relapsed after being sober for a few years. I, I wasn't able to recognize that I was depressed and I didn't have that recovery network and support system. I wasn't using it to the point where those people would speak into my life and say, hey, 
you're going down the wrong road here. You seem really down. Like, you, you know, some, you need to do something about this. I didn't have any of that. And I wasn't able to recognize that depression is definitely a trigger for me. Once I hit a certain level of depression, I am going to, to relapse. It's just I've seen it. I, I can look back at, at my life and all the different times I relapsed. And that was why I relapsed is because I, I got to a certain level of depression and I was going to make myself feel different. And so that's one of my biggest triggers that I'm always on the lookout for. Um, uh, I've, I've actually asked my wife, you know, a couple of different times where I thought maybe I'm depressed. You know, I asked her, Do, have I seemed down, you know, lately or have I seemed depressed lately? Because I just don't. I can't start down that road because I know where I'm heading, you know? It's funny you say that because you can be depressed and not know that you're depressed. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Because often you think, well, it's just all just melancholy and, you know, just doom and gloom to be depressed. But that's not necessarily the truth. Sometimes it's just a slow fade. And I've asked myself that same question, am I depressed? And that's not really a question you ask yourself and get an answer. (laughs) Well, yes. But, you know, I've had to, like you said, I, my wife was my sounding board. I'm like, you know, I know that I'm not myself right now. Do I, do I, do I seem different? Because that's the great thing of having a sponsor. And, and mm. I'm not saying your wife should be your sponsor, but my wife sees me more than anybody right. else. And she is very, she's not a toxic person in my life. And she, she brings value and she, she helps me. In, in my recovery and so when i ask her something i believe she'll give me an honest answer and so i value her opinion on things and if i ask her have i changed she's around me so much i believe that she can see a change before anyone else can yeah and and use it and you can use the 10th step you know to help identify where you are um because you know a, a big asset to me with using the 12 steps has been being able to look on honestly at myself and, and you know know with some sort of confidence like where I am emotionally, physically, spiritually, mentally, and be and being honest with myself about it. And when it, whenever you know I, I try to look honestly at myself and take an inventory, um, you know not not that I always can tell if I'm depressed, but I mean I can usually tell when something's off. And through journaling and prayer and and seeking God, usually He will reveal to me, you know, this is this is what's going on. You know, this is why you feel I felt off. This is the thing that's out of place in your life or the character defect that you need to work on. And the cool thing I've learned with what you're talking about is I do kind of know something's a little off kilter with me. Something just isn't quite right. And it may be in one or more areas. And I may not even know what it is yet, but I'm trying to figure it out through journaling or asking people or praying, whatever those things are that I'm doing. I'm trying to figure it out. That right there is an indicator for me that now's not a time to go to a concert. Right. Now's not yeah. a time to go do any of those other things, even though I may have done it in the past and I was fine with it. But right now, something's just not right in my recovery. And I need to figure that out before I take those you know, um, steps out into places that may not be very safe for me. Right. That's an excellent point. And then the fourth um, way to prevent relapse is believing that relapse is impossible. Like thinking, I can't relapse. Just arrogant. Yeah. You, you've you got to believe that it's possible and that you are, succ- a subs- I can't say that word, susceptible. 
Have you ever even heard that word? Yeah, I have, and you said it right. I could not say it. That's right. Not, I was just kind of coaching you on from over here because I, I couldn't say it right. <laughs> I was going to let you drop the ball. We're just two country guys <laughs> from Alabama. Don't ask me to spell it. Yeah. <laughs> but the belief that I can't relapse, I'm impervious to that, is is a really unhealthy way to think. And and I know this from personal experience with that that horrible relapse i had after having a few years sober the the three years that i had sober you could not have convinced me that i could relapse i thought it was no way at all possible now i wouldn't have told you that but deep down in my heart and soul i thought it's impossible for me to relapse i can't relapse it's not going to happen to me and then i relapse <laughs> well this is where i have a i don't know maybe it's a difference with some other uh recovery type ministries that are not 12 step based cuz most any 12 step program i've been a part of will tell you that you can uh fall and i've been a part of some other deliverance type maybe is the best way to say that type ministries that say oh you've been delivered from that you you don't ever you're not an alcoholic you're not an addict you're not a food addict what whatever the case is you're not that person anymore in some ways i would agree with that that's not where my identity is today my identity is in christ as a christian but if i forget that i'm an alcoholic and drug addict then i will rem- i will somehow manipulate myself into believing that I could going to have one more. One more will be okay. When I'm on that cruise ship, you know, just it's hot outside and mm. so I could have one more. And, uh, you know, who would even know? I mean, it's okay just to have one. And those are the thoughts that I have, and I will convince myself that, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I have those little in- internal conversations with myself you know, I mean, I remember, I think it was a couple of years ago, um, I was watching golf, like a golf tournament or something like that, and I saw like in the background, you remember the beer maids? Did you ever play golf? No, I was I was literally thinking to myself, I wouldn't need to drink beer to sit there and watch a golf game. Drinking beer and playing golf kind of go together okay. for most people. Anyway, they have golf carts on these nicer courses where it's like it's like a, a girl that's just riding a golf cart full of beer around hmm. to give to you. And I remember like seeing on the TV, like in the background, like a beer, you know, they call them beer maids or beer carts and seeing one of those ride past and just this whole image of like, that would be nice to go and, you know, play around a golf and drink a beer or two. And it's crazy that my mind can just easily make it all okay that quickly and to try to get me back on that, you know. And I think that's, you know, just the temptations that all Christians face all the time is it's so easy for a small little thought to just get in your mind and then for you to start having a conversation with yourself about it, and then before you know it, you've justified it, and you, and then in some cases you've even gone and, and did it. I didn't do it then. I was able to just go ahead and you know kind of get rid of that thought and go no, you know, because it, it's not going to work out. Well, that's yeah. the reason you would need me with you because, right. like, I would remind you, no, dude, you're, we're going to steal a golf cart. We're going to get, hammer down 50 of these beers. We're going to try to jump over the ninth hole and over the pond there. And we'll be arrested. And kind of mud ride, and then we're yeah. going to get DUIs and all go to jail. But the point of all of that story is 
I was able to get rid of that thought because I know that I can relapse. I know it's a possibility. Um, it, it took me relapsing several times to realize that I know I can do it. You know, I know it's a possibility and I have to keep working on my recovery because if I'm not working on my recovery, I'm working on my next relapse. Yeah, because I, I hear people a lot of times, and, and I've probably get, been guilty. I don't think that I have because this is one of those things I try to never say, but I never say never, and maybe because of this I'm fixing to say, is that you hear people sit into a group or one-on-one say, I'm never going to drink again. And that, that's just not a good setup because I mentioned this before that, you know, I usually say I, I haven't done that yet. Yeah. Just meaning that I'm eligible, you know, you're eligible too is what it stands for. I've heard people Mm. say. And so those are the things that I have to remind myself. It just hasn't happened yet. Even if I've never done a particular thing in my life, I'm, I'm able to to do that just like everybody else. Yeah. That's a great thought. And the other thing, this isn't really one of our tips, the, but just a little something extra here, a little lanyard, a freebie. A little lanyap for you. You know what lanyap means? I have no idea. It mean it's like a it's like a Louisiana term, like a Cajun term. It means a little something extra. I was gonna say it meant food. Lanyap. Yeah. Hey, that's what Milo's does. They put an extra little something extra. That's what they get. You get a meat patty and there's a little <laughs> extra on top. That's literally what they do. They do it on purpose. Yeah. So the little. <laughs> Sorry, I got sidetracked. Milo's I just commercial that. here. Yeah. <laughs> we are not endorsed by Milo's. <laughs> But the little something extra for you is is something that's used in recovery a lot, and it's halt. It's ask yourself if you if you feel like you're not in a good place, you ask yourself the halt question: Am I hungry, angry, lonely, or tired? And if you answer yes to one or more of those things, well, a lot of those things are easy easily taken care of. If you're hungry, I mean, you can eat. Um, I know that one sounds weird, but for me, a lot of times when I'm real busy during the day, like I'll just skip right through lunch and I'll I'll forget to eat lunch and four o'clock in the afternoon rolls around and I'm just ill. You know, I'm wanting to just, you know, I'm biting people's heads off or, you know, I'm just really ill tempered or whatever. And then I'll be like, you know what? I didn't even eat. And then, you know, the tired part, you can you can get more rest you know, the anger part and the lonely part is a little bit, you know, not logistically easy to take care of, but you can still, you know, take action to, to help those things. If you're lonely, well, then you can go to a meeting or go to church. You know, you can reach out to friends. Uh, if you're angry, you know, you can meet up with your sponsor or your recovery network and you can share about those things and pray and you can, you know, take care of some of those things, you know, with some action. So get this, dude. I, I was not even thinking this at all for the show when you just said that. I've been trying to lose some weight. I'm not calling it a diet, but I'm trying to do a little better, if you will. And, and so it just hit me when you said that, like hungry. Like you're going to be hungry if you're trying to cut calories back. But like I, I, I'm black or white. And so, you know, I just try to not to eat at all. And then <laughs> I realize I'm starving at the end of the day. Like I can go all day without eating. And at the end of the day, I just start gorging myself <laughs> to try to, to make up for what I hadn't eaten. So uh, again, I see myself kind of relapsing, if you will, just by doing that one thing about being angry. I've talked mm, to a few times. About, angry. 
huh? Hangry. Well, yeah, and you don't want to be around me. My wife will be the first one to tell you, <laughs> lay off I me. am that person. When, like, it, when it gets bad, it gets bad. Like but, Chris Farley, like, lay off me, I'm starving. <laughs> you know, I just watched some of his stuff. Didn't he die? He did die. Yeah. That's sad. He was good. But, you know, being angry is something that I, we've talked about some is, you know, I've had some troubles with some different people and I've let that anger spill over in a way like at night, I'll just kind of eat away my problems. And I, I don't sit down and try to do that, but I just like, you know, who cares if I even, wait's the last thing I'm worried about right now. So I'll just kind of eat this away and just kind of poor pitiful me type deal. Lonely doesn't so much apply to this for me right now. But the tired part, I can see it as well because I come home, uh, I've done well with trying to not eat until I just gorge at the end of the evening. and But I find myself too tired to try to go do any kind of exercise to help with any of that. And I know that's not exactly all of what you were just talking about then, but I see even in my own way of trying to to stay on this healthy pattern of, of eating that I keep relapsing by by not following the very things that we talk about on yeah there. by not finding a balance with it right. because there there's a balance in all of that so yeah and and for me with trying to prevent relapse there is a lot there is one big part of it where it's you're you're trying you're having to be honest with yourself and take an honest inventory of where you are emotionally which unfortunately you know you need to be in touch with what you feel um even though it kind of goes against a, a lot of a lot of people want to shove their emotions down and just kind of bottle everything up but you know there is an element where you're kind of doing a lot of self-evaluating but if i didn't have other people in my life helping me to evaluate where i am you know i think i would be lost um i, I really feel like i'm in a good place now where if I started going down, you know, the road to relapse, I feel like I have several people that would say something to me, you know, and that's that's a and I and it helps me feel secure. Not that I'm never going to relapse, but it helps me to feel like I am working a program to try to prevent that the best I can. I see that as a two way street with me and you because like. If I saw some changes in you, I, mean, I see you on a weekly basis just airing this show, but if I saw some changes in you, I would point that out to you without fear of you getting your feelings hurt. Right. And, and the same back at me. Like, there could have been no changes. Maybe it was just me being off. But if I was to say that to you, you'd go, no, dude, I, you know. Yeah. You know, I appreciate you asking, but, but no, nothing's going off. Maybe a little something over here or this little thing here, but no, no I appreciate But I thank you for 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 you know caring enough about me. yeah and i see a lot of people in recovery that when they're asked to take a drug test and somebody is trying to hold them accountable um or even not even with drugs you know maybe it's with food or codependency and when when they're when they're held accountable they get defensive and you know that's that's not a healthy place to be in and then i've see, also seen where somebody wants accountable accountability in their life but they want to tell the accountability how to hold them accountable that don't work that that never work so yeah. um, that's kind of like telling the coach how you're going to you know what what position you're going to play on the team yeah <laughs> it, it don't really work yeah. that way 
Well, man, um, I think that um, those are some just great tips to help prevent relapse. I think that um, we're all capable of a relapse. And, you know, by reminding ourselves that, you know, that we could fall at any given minute and that if we do fall, that there's enough love and support around us that it's okay to to step up and and start all over again. Yeah, and that's what I found is when you do relapse – Worrying about how it happened, what exactly happened, going back and playing it over a thousand times in your head is not really helpful. What's helpful is trying to, is just getting back right on where, you know, a lot of people think uh, if you've been sober or you've had freedom time for a year or whatever and you relapse, well, you threw all that time away. I don't really look at it like that. I'll look at it like you were on a journey and you, you made a mistake. And you can just get back on the journey. And that's the great thing about God's forgiveness is he's ready to forgive us now. You know, he we don't have to get everything, all of our ducks in a row for him to to want to forgive us at some later date when we have it all together. He can forgive us right now. And if we're if our relationship is far from him, we were we are way away from the Lord. We can come right back to him. Because in recovery, we say it's one day at a time. Yep. And for us, that day is over because <laughs> we're coming to the end of a podcast. But man, um, you know, we could talk forever oh, yeah. about all this. And so, man, I just want to say thanks for all that you do in my life. And, and I know you, you would say the same. I just have to say that before you say it <laughs> <laughs> to make sure you're good with it. And uh, uh, I, really, I do mean that because um, it, it's beneficial even as we, we shoot these shows together, as we talk talk about these these things these topics that have affected our lives so much it's cool to to know that we can do this together yes and so guys um just thanks for listening in for another show i'm roger i'm jason we're out thanks for listening to soberholic with roger and jason if you like the show and want to know more check out soberholicpodcast.com please remember to leave us a review on itunes or wherever you listen to podcasts See you next week, Soberholics.